Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, it is good to be in the house of the Lord, uh, to be here and sharing the word of God with you tonight. And I want to say to our Pineview family and friends who are joining us online, uh, thank you for tuning in tonight. Let's uh, begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father and Almighty God, oh, we come humbly to your throne of grace. God, we thank you that where two or three are gathered in the midst, you are there with us. Holy Spirit, presence of the living God. God, we ask that you move, speak, and uh, display your awesomeness however you wish to do so. Lord, Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we give you thanks and praise, Lord. Let tonight be a time of ministry in your word, by your spirit, Lord. Anoint my heart, my mind, my lips to be clay in your hands. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you minister to each and every individual who can hear and see this message under the sound of my voice, in the mighty name of Jesus. And we said, Amen. Amen. Well, I am excited to talk with you all tonight about living waters. Living waters. And uh, what that means as we look at a specific illustration in the book of John. But first, I want to talk to you a little bit about you're seeing here an image of Hurricane, the impact of Hurricane Katrina in 2005. I'm originally born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana, so this is near and dear to my heart. Uh, and you can see the devastation and the impact of water. While in this particular uh, uh, photograph, you're seeing water really steal how it came into the city like a mighty rushing wind and brought devastation. Water can be powerful. Water is important in our lives. The devastation or water in this particular case, you'll see here in this video, in this uh, photo, uh, a street in the neighborhood in which I grew up. This particular house, the impact on this house that water had, right? That the devastation that was brought, how the, the house is moved on its very foundation and opened up by winds and water. But tonight we're going to talk about living water and Jesus Christ as the living water in our lives. Water matters because each day humans must consume a certain amount of water in order to survive, right? An adult male, working with my, an adult male needs about two, about three, sorry, uh, 3.2 quarts a day. A female's body needs about 2.3 quarts uh, per day. Water serves as a number of essential functions 
serves a number of essential functions to keep us all going, according to H.H. Mitchell uh, in the Journal of Biological Chemistry. It provides vital nutrients to the very life cells in our body. Um, it regulates our internal body temperatures. It, it transports foods by water into our bloodstream. Most of our organs are made up of components of water. So we're going to talk about living water. And we're going to dive into uh, John chapter 4, where Jesus uh, is on a journey. And he is traveling and decides to stop at a well and has an interaction with a woman at a well. And it is a fascinating uh, interaction. Let's start by diving in. And so here we see uh, in John, the fourth chapter, starting at verse 3, it says, So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way to get to where he was going. So eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his sons, Joseph. Joseph, uh, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, being tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime, and soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. So here we have this interaction where Jesus decides to take a pause in his journey. And he waits until this lady shows up, God bless you, the Samaritan woman, and begins to draw water. And he says, please give me a drink. So if you are here tonight, I have water for you. And I will toss a few out, but there is more than enough uh, for individuals to have water. Oops. <laughs> I was not a football player, <laughs> but a theater major. Brother Dan, if you could help me. So here, as a servant, we are giving you a drink of water, right? I mean... Is that enough? Yeah. So please enjoy the refreshing, nice, cold water that is prepared just for you, as if you're drinking from the very well, uh, the Samaritan woman and Jesus were getting ready to drink from. So on this journey, I want to just kind of show you where Jesus is traveling to, right? He's going, returning to Galilee. We see that up in the north, Samaria is in the middle. He is in this town near Sekar. You'll see it in the tan section. And there are two mountains that I want to point out that we'll uh, touch on a little bit later. And it is Mount Ebel and Mount Gerizim. And so this is, you can see, uh, this is really a direct route. But because the Jews had over a 400 year sort of 
Kif with Samaritans, Jews tended to not go through the town of Samaria. They would rather journey, add additional time to their travel, perhaps days, hours for sure. They would travel around Samaria uh, to get to Galilee. And, or they wouldn't stop at all. But here, Jesus takes a pause. He sends his disciples to go get food, and he is waiting for their return. And so, this scene, or this, this, act, this part of the Bible, takes place at Jacob's well. Now, it is interesting because Jacob's well is only mentioned in the New Testament. This place in, in John is the only place in the New Testament where Jacob's well is mentioned. The well was considered to be in existence for about eight, uh, 1,800 years. Jacob's well was deep. It ran 70 feet deep. Six, uh, seven feet and six inches in diameter. So this is a significant well, right, that had been in place for years, for thousands of years. And this well is located on a piece of land that Jacob actually had purchased from Hamar. And the well is located just about uh, 300 yards, sorry for the typo, uh, from Joseph's tomb. So we have a clear picture of where this well is and the some significant historical context around the well. And we also have in the background, uh, as you saw in the map, two particular mountains that I believe have significance in this story uh, as well. Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebel. We learn in Genesis in the 33rd chapter, uh, starting at verse 18, where Jacob purchases this area of land. And it says, after Jacob came from Padan Aram, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan, encamped within sight uh, of the city. And for a hundred pieces of silver, he bought this uh, from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. And there he set up an altar and he called it El Elohi Israel. He placed an altar in this moment after having purchased the land, dedicating it to God and calling it El Elohim Israel. Jacob's worship. Jacob dedicated this altar to honor the God of Israel. He also honored God as the only living and true God. And he honored God, the God of Israel, 
as a God in covenant with him. Right? And he declared it as Israel's God is Israel's glory. So we have, you'll see the importance of this land, this area being dedicated, right, to God. And, and Jacob really taking a moment to worship God uh, for this journey and the promises that God has placed in his own life. And it is this backdrop that we have where Jesus meets with the Samaritan woman. And as we pick up the story uh, in John, uh, starting picking up in verse 8, it says, He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything, right, anything to do with the Samaritan. And she said to Jesus, You are a Jew. You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, If you only knew, if you only knew the gift of God that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you, what does it say? Living water. But sir, but sir, she says, you don't even have a rope or a bucket. How are you going to draw this water, she says. And the well is very deep. As we saw some of the facts, 75 feet deep, at least, this well ran. So I want to talk, take a moment and talk about the Samaritan woman as an outcast. As an outcast because the Jews had this enmity between uh the Samaritans, it is unusual for a Jew to stop and have a conversation with a Samaritan. And it is also odd that a guy, a male, would ask this lady who is not a family member, not in relationship with her, for her to give him a glass of water. She's also digging it, uh, coming to get water at a unique time, right? It is the heat of the day. It is noontime. It is not the typical time when they would come to the well to draw water. Likelihood, you would go earlier in the day before the heat or in the cool evening, right? But she chose this time, and she went a little bit further from perhaps the well that was closest to her village or to her home. She chose this particular well that the Samaritans had a connection to Jacob because they also saw themselves as a part of Jacob's lineage. But they were not liked by the Jews. Jews wouldn't have anything to do with them. In fact, Jews went out of their way to not have any conversation. So here she is 
an outcast, being entertained by Jesus in this moment. To give you some uh, back history on how, uh, a little bit more about how uh, the Samaritans became an outcast, uh, we'll pick up the story in 2 Kings in the 17th chapter, um, starting with verse 1 and 2. And Hosha, son of El- ah- Elah, began to rule over Israel in the 12th year of King Ahaz' reign in Judah. And he reigned in Samaria nine years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, but not to the same extent as the kings of Israel who ruled before him. So we know he's not following after God. He's got some things in his life that are, and he is leading his people in a way that is not righteous, but it says it's not to the extent of other kings. Then the king of Assyria invaded the entire land, and for three years they besieged the city of Samaria. This disaster, oh, sorry, finally, in the ninth year of King Hosha's reign, Samaria fell and the people of Israel were exiled to Assyria. They were settled in colonies in Hala, along the banks of the Habor River in Gozan, and in the cities of Medes. This disaster came upon the people of Israel because what? They worshipped other gods. They had turned away from the Lord God of Israel, right? We saw that Jacob dedicated this area, this land of Israel to the Lord God of Israel. But in this place, in this time, this people had sinned against the Lord their God who had safely brought them out of Egypt and rescued them from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So the king of Assyria transported groups of people from uh, Babylon, Ketuth, Ava, Hamath, Seraphim, and resettled them in the town of Samaria. So think about it. He's gathering all of the Jews, he's gathering these people, and resettling them in this one area of Samaria, replacing the people of Israel. Then they went on to take possession of Samaria and lived in its towns. And so a message was sent to the king of Assyria, the people you live in the towns of Samaria do not know the religious customs of their God of this land. And so Jews looked at Samaritans as unpure, unclean. And that's why they distanced themselves. And this lasted over 400 400 years. And then it says, goes on to say in 2 Kings 17, he sent lions among them to destroy them because they have not worshipped God correctly. So the king of Assyria then commanded, hey, I got an idea. 
I want you to send one of the exiled priests to Samaria, let him live there and teach the new residents of the religious customs of the God of the land. And so one of the priests who had been in exile in Samaria returned to Bethel and taught the new residents how to worship the Lord. So Samaritans still had this connection to their lineage in Jacob. And while there was corruption in their town, while there was corruption in their land, multiple gods being worshipped, they also had their own priest who taught them the Torah, who taught them the five books of Moses. So they have in them this instilling, right, this connection to God through his word in this particular moment. So picking back up in John, in chapter 4, it says he was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food and the woman was surprised. Jesus, uh, skipping down, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift that God has for you. The gift that God has for you. He is giving, offering, inviting her to partake in living water. And she is perplexed. He is thinking eternal. She is thinking natural. Jesus is thinking about her soul, about her salvation, about the Samaritan people, about the covenant that God has had with Jacob, and she is thinking physical water. But God is offering something more, something more wonderful, something more spectacular, living water. The gift that God has for you. A free gift without repayment. When we look at the word gift that is used here in this verse, he's talking about a gift that he is giving freely and you don't have to repay it. You don't have to repay it at all. And it is a gift that is what? Life-giving. His life-giving water. It is a free gift. An invitation. An invitation that runs deep. Because the whale has to connect to a source of water. A whale has to connect to a source of water. And so she's wondering, how is this living water? What, what is this living water? How am I going to partake of this living water? Because in my mind, I know that a well has to connect to a source of water. But the very source is standing in front of her. The very source is having this moment of interaction with her. The very source of living water is taking a moment of 
time to set things in motion for eternity. What seemed physical, what seemed natural is very deep and it is from God's perspective about eternity, about your future, about God's plans for your life. So in John, in the 11th, uh, the 11th verse, she asks the question, where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think that you're greater than our ancestors Jacob who gave us this well? How could you offer something better? A better water than he and his sons and that his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anyone, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. Because it what? It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. As we look at living water, we know that Jeremiah talks about living water in the 17th chapter in the 13th verse. He says, the Lord is called the fountain of what? Living water. The fountain of living water. He satisfies people's longing to know God personally. And then in Psalms 42, the 42nd chapter, verses 1 and 2, the poet exclaims, What my soul thirsts for God. For who? For the living God. So Jesus knows that this Samaritan woman also needs his living water. He says, here I am. If you know who I am, your spiritual thirst would be satisfied once and for all. And therefore, he's going to reveal himself to her in a special way. Jesus is the source of living waters in, within us. So she goes on and says, and he goes on and says, she says, please, sir, this woman says, give me this water, right? She is now interested. She's like, you're saying something that's really good here. She's like, I am now interested in what you are talking about. She's like, give me this water and then, hey, I won't have to tug this water home every day. I won't have to toil by coming to the whale on a daily basis to carry this heavy water back to my home in the heat of day. I won't have to come here to get water. And he has an interesting response. He says, go get your husband, Jesus tells her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus says, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had 
five husbands, and you aren't married even to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth, sir. So now she's profound, right? You must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Why is that? Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim are here in the backdrop of this situation. There are the highest mountains in the region, in the central region of Palestine. Mount Ebal is a mountain north of Shechem in the Manasseh Hill country of central Samaria, and one mountain is associated with cursing and disfavor, and the other one associated with blessings and honor. Well, drawing water from the living source. My past has been associated with cursings and disfavor. My future is associated with blessings and favor. See, Mount Gerizim is a plural form which means cut off. And we find that in Psalms 31 and the uh, uh, 22nd uh, verse where it says, In panic I cried out, I am cut off from the Lord, but you heard my cry for mercy and answered my call for help. Here, this Samaritan woman, standing at the base of a mountain that means cut off, she is an outcast as a Samaritan from the viewpoint of the Jews, and here Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is standing in front of her to reveal himself as the Messiah and to change the path of her future and those of her city and her tribe. All she sees is cut off. That's why she's at, the, at this well at this time of day that you don't come to this well at this time of day. It is because I don't want, I can't be seen by other people. I am this outcast. I feel cut off from the promises of Jacob that have been promised by the God of Israel. But things are about to change. He says in the 21 ver 21st verse, Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, what the time is coming, well, it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. They only have a snippet of insight, right? about the one they worship. While Jews know all about him for salvation, what comes from the Jews? 
But the time is coming, indeed it is now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in what? In spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman says, hey, I know the Messiah is coming. I understand the word of God that has been taught to me by the priests. The one who is called Christ, when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then in this moment, Jesus says, what? I am the Messiah. Wow. I am the Messiah is now standing there having a conversation. The one she worships, the one that she has been pouring into the word to understand that she only had this, this uh, finite understanding is now interacting with her and offering her living water. See, although you were standing, I'll get this right, although you were standing in the valley and all you see are mountains surrounding you, God remembers his promise towards you. God remembers his promise towards you. Living water. God is thinking about this special moment in her life. He cares so much for her, for her soul, for her salvation. He takes time while resting. He could have gone another way. He could have continued going. But it said it was he was tired and he stopped for a moment and she came in this moment and she meets her Messiah. She meets the promised one. She's been taught the prophecies about the coming Messiah. And in this moment, she has a time. She has time with him. You see... Revelation means to unveil or to uncover. And God allows himself to be visible in a new way. In this moment in her life, God reveals himself to her in a new way. Jacob says... Or Job says in the word of, uh, in Job, I have heard about you, but now I see you. So you see, there's a difference, right? When I've had that moment to experience you, I've heard about you, I've read about you, I've been taught about you, but now I see you. Now my eyes are uncovered. I am having this experience with my creator, with the living God of Israel who loves me for who I am. Now I see you. 
Saul experienced God revealing himself in a special way on the road to Damascus. You see, God reveals. In John 23 and 24, in the, uh, the Passion Translation, it says this way. From now on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but with the right heart. For God is a spirit and he longs to have what? Sincere worshipers who adore him in the realm of the spirit and in truth. It is about your heart. It is about God, experiencing God in a new and a personal way where he reveals himself in all of his glory, in your life, in your current situations, he is revealing himself. And so, the woman said, this is all so confusing. But I know that the anointed one is coming, the true Messiah. And when he comes, he will tell us everything we need to know. And he says, you don't have to wait any longer. Praise the Lord. You don't have to wait any longer. The anointed one is here speaking to you. I am the one you've been looking for. What a powerful moment. What a precious moment in her life. Another thing that I, I felt God speaking to me about was restoration. As we look at this, this moment in Jesus' life and this particular moment of ministry, restoration. God takes our brokenness and he remolds us, what? Into new vessels. He reshapes our broken heart. Here this woman comes broken, beaten, and battered. Ashamed. And she is being remolded into a new creation as she interacts with her Messiah. As she has this special moment with Jesus. You see, I believe that Leviticus 26 applies to this. Where God is remembering his covenant. It says in Leviticus 26, starting in verse 44. But despite all this, God is saying, I will not utterly reject or despise them while they are in exile in the land of their enemies. I will not cancel my covenant with them by wiping them out. For I am the Lord their God. For their sakes, I will remember the ancient covenant with their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of all the nations. That what? That I might be their God. I am the Lord. Jesus is on a mission to fulfill the covenant when the Samaritans were being cut off by the religious Jews because they were viewed as unpure, unworthy, not 
pure heirs or, or descendants of Jacob, God saw differently. His promise was to be fulfilled. His heart for his people, his heart for us, for you who are listening, for you who are here, that he might be your God, that he will be your Lord. And God restores. God brings restoration. You see, many Samaritans from the village to believe in Jesus because this woman came back and said, he has told me everything I did. We find this in verse 39. And then she go, he goes on to say, then they said to the woman, jumping to verse 42, now we believe, not just because of your experience, not just because of what you said, but because what have we, we've heard for ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Revive. There is the sense of reviving, bringing to life again. I want to say to you and encourage you that God will bring life where you have felt dry, where you have felt weak, where you have felt weary. And he will interrupt your normal so that you experience the extraordinary love of God for you. In Acts, we see this this domino effect, right? In Acts, the first chapter in verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. Where? In Jerusalem. Where else? Throughout Judea. Where else? In Samaria. In other words, don't forget about Samaria. The place that you've been avoiding, the people that you've been avoiding, those people are precious to me, God says. My plan, God is saying his plan, is that you tell everyone in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, who I am. That Jesus Christ came for their salvation, to save them, to save the lost. Those you thought were an outcast are being engrafted into the kingdom of God. What you saw one way, God sees another way. We need God's perspective every day of our lives. And then we see, I'll get this by the end, Acts in, in chapter 8. Uh, in verse 5, Philip, for example, he went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Jesus' disciples did not go in Samaria before Jesus went to the well. That was a turning point for the people of Samaria. 
where the Savior, the Deliverer, the Redeemer stopped by and changed the course of their life. It wasn't just about the woman at the well. It was actually, it's actually a deeper picture. But it starts with her. Samaria wasn't, isn't, isn't visited before that moment. But then Jesus says, you need to spread the gospel in every part, including Samaria. And in Acts 8 and 14, when the apostles went in Jerusalem and they had heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there to continue spreading the word of God, to continue bringing the Holy Spirit. This story is not just about the woman at the well. It's about God's desire for his people to be amongst his people. The location is important. The well is important. The altar that Jacob established is important. The temple is important. The altar that is a place of surrender and worship where God reveals himself in a special way in your situation, in that moment. The living waters residing on you inside. The living waters. It is also interesting that she talks about Joseph's bones being in the area. And I believe that has significance, right? Joseph symbolized people coming under God's care. And in this moment, we see this life that is precious to God and God's people coming back under his care. Joseph symbolized going from the prison to the palace. The Samaritan woman symbolizes going from a place of bondage to a place of freedom. The power of living waters. Your destiny is not constrained by your past. God has a plan and a purpose for you. God's love and his compassion and his care to bring you into his arms and to fellowship with him is a deep desire that you may drink from the living waters. See, God's plans are better than man's plans. I don't believe the disciples would have gone into Samaria. Or made that change until God decided to visit them. She went from a place of exile 
to being free and being able to experience the promised land. The Samaritan woman's experience with God was so powerful that she left her bucket at the well. She left with newness of life. She left inspired, set free by God in that moment. She left her baggage. She left a new as a new creation, a new creature in Christ. Having had that experience and having that moment and walking with Jesus in the heat of day, drinking from the living water. That invitation still rings true today for us to drink from the well of living waters. And as we look at it, it is a well within a well. It is a fountain that springs up life, restoration, reviving, revelation in our souls and our spirits as we worship the only living God. The only living God. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, come to redeem and to save us. His love so precious. I invite you to drink from the well of living waters. You will not thirst again. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Jesus. God, we worship you. We love you. We cast our hearts before you and we cry out, God, to fill us afresh with your spirit and your presence, O oh God. Open our eyes that we may see you in a new and a personal and a special way. God, we ask that you interrupt our normalcy so that we can experience the extraordinary love, presence, and power of a living God. We bless your name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.